Salutations and Ave. Welcome to Babylon Rising, the show about witchcraft, sexuality, and creativity. Isn't there more to everything than following a bunch of old rules? Isn't there more to everything than following a bunch of old rules? Old rules? Isn't there more to everything than following a bunch of old rules? Patreon page, that's patreon.com forward slash Babylon Rising, or instead leaving a rating and review on iTunes. iTunes reviews really super duper help others find the show and help the project of Babylon Rising to continue to grow. Both types of support do wonders to help in the process of making the show, and to anyone currently supporting the podcast Patreon page, I I'm very thankful, and this could not have been made without you. Enjoy the episode! Today, we're going to be talking about Obia. Obia being basically African traditional religion in the Caribbean, and pretty much anywhere... Afro-Caribbean people have gone, or are, currently, they take Obia with them where they go. Obia is definitely a subject I knew I wanted to discuss on the show, um, pretty much since the inception of Babylon Rising in its current form. I just always knew it would be a project that would require a lot of work (laughs) and research and writing and stuff. Um, especially since a lot of the sort of places I'm drawing on for conversation and and inspiration and, um, the stuff I want to pass on to you listening, it's going to, like, it takes a lot out of me to organize this information. But nevertheless, I have been able to, uh, with the support of listeners, honestly, job the courage all right and the wherewithal i'll say to make what i'm sure will be a very exciting episode i think from my perspective at least i would say that interest in african traditional religions or atrs um has been growing throughout the uh black diaspora Um, And other people, of course, it's always very interesting to learn about different folk traditions, especially things that people still do today and still believe today and where those beliefs and practices come from. And I've always, you know, there's so many different traditions going on and happening and there's so many different histories um, and everything is so interconnected, but it can still be weird, in my opinion, to listen to people discuss ATRs and they're talking about another ATR practice and they are genuinely genuinely different like if I listen to somebody talk about Haitian hoodoo it's not like exactly the same as any other ATR and so I think it's important that uh 
more people discuss all of these really interesting practices that have cropped up and then get influenced by like where those people are and what they had access to. Anyways, I'm just very excited for this episode. I would also like to say that uh, I am descending from Afro-Caribbean people, and so I do have this sort of uh, connection to some of these practices uh, and some experiences that I will share at some point throughout this episode. Um, And it's really surreal, for me at least, to be familiar with some of these folk tales and folk beliefs and be able to sort of read about, you know, the history of some of those practices. I'm excited. I hope you're excited. It's kind of weird finding information about ATRs in general, and so I'm absolutely hyped. Let's get into it. Starting off, I guess we can start by saying that it is kind of weird to describe exactly what Obia is, um, in part because of a lot of how it's been defined over the years has been through the context of policing from white colonial society. These are practices which uh, come from the enslaved Africans in the Caribbean, and they were persecuted for these practices. And so a lot of information that you can find about these practices from a more historical perspective is like white colonial powerful people complaining about obia and how they feel about how they feel about it right they these people the colonialists the slave masters these people had good reason to want to portray these spiritual practices as being immoral or savage or evil That reason being another justification for slavery and abuse, of course. In particular, good example of this is that Haitian hoodoo, which I only bring up because, you know, at certain points in time, it was considered obia because obia was considered a sort of term for all of the ATRs in the Caribbean. So we're talking about obia, we're talking about Haitian hoodoo follow along here. So Haitian voodoo uh, was particularly accused by these white colonialists and slave masters and such as engaging in practices of cannibalism, of human sacrifice, uh, all sorts of different abuse was attributed to Haitian voodoo. And especially a thing I've noticed is that it wasn't just that these people were doing these evil spiritual practices of cannibalism and abuse and whatever, but that they were cannibalizing and abusing good white people. They were using their evil demonic powers to perform human sacrifice using white children. How dare them? Uh, Not saying that I think anyone should should sacrifice anyone but this is sort of being said as a way to justify these people not being deserving of any kind of self-governance or autonomy so they're not condemning immoral practices out of the kindness and goodness of their heart a lot of times this is a sort of i guess rhetorical tactic to 
further denigrate and dehumanize people, black people, African people. And so that sort of tinge affects different sources of information that you can find, including uh, folktales, because uh, you sort of have people internalizing this framework and passing it along. That's definitely been a part of my experience as well. So, this being said, when I try to describe what Ovia is, uh, keep in mind the nearly unavoidable influence that indoctrination from colonial society most likely has on me, or even some of my sources. I live in so-called Canada, another colonial project, and so I'm sure that also has unconscious effects on how I discuss some of this information. And so I'm asking you to stay vigilant and keep an ear to the ground um, as we discuss uh, further this subject. Another thing I'd like to say as a part of this sort of episode intro, really, is that in terms of where I'm pulling my information, I'm using my sort of the folk information that I am specifically familiar with that comes from my family and as well interviews with people blogs people have made I mean it's not the easiest to find this kind of information of people talking openly about the subject but it can be done you can find some news articles some interviews you can also find if you look hard enough uh historical documentation uh saved court records or newspapers Um, as well books that were published at the time uh, that you can reference. And so I'm sort of putting all of this information together in a blender and making a delicious smoothie of information for you to enjoy. (laughs) I would describe today Obia as an Afro-Caribbean spiritual and magical system. Basically, Black folk witchcraft of the West Indies descending from the religions and spiritual practices enslaved black people brought with them from West Africa, where they were presumably from. Um, The practice of Ovia is not centralized. There's no one leader or a group of leaders or even a pantheon of gods or deities specifically associated with Ovia. Because of this, there tends to be a lot of variance between how people practice Ovia and what they believe about it which can get really interesting. Today, like I've mentioned, I'm talking about contemporary Ovia. These practices still are well and alive today and practiced by people in places like Jamaica, Trinidad and Tobago, Guyana, Barbados, Belize, and like I said, anywhere that Afro-Caribbean people have gone. So the United States, Canada, England, you know, wherever else, people go places and they bring their spiritual traditions and beliefs with them. Taking a brief stop on the role I feel like I'm on to talk about Obia versus Mayao. So this is a distinction that is important to keep in mind. Um, And so I'll explain it now so that as we get further into the episode, you can consider this piece of information as we discuss more historical examples. So, Ovia versus Mayal. What am I talking about? So, basically, in the 
earlier days of uh, life for the Afro-Caribbean people who were enslaved in the islands of the West Indies, uh, because of the demonization of their practices and beliefs under the banner of Obia, um, and this is partially, like, I'm sort of somewhat inserting my own opinion in this, but basically there grew this distinction between Obia and Mayal. Obia being just general, like, earlier in the history of this story I'm telling here, was considered all of the baneful, evil, uh, antisocial magic that someone might do in these practices. So curses, bindings, uh, poisonings, that kind of stuff. And Mayal sort of became the sort of lighter, um, I guess, more positive aspects of these practices. So um, Mayal might be more what you imagine when you think of African traditional religions, the white clothing and the drumming and the dancing and the spirit possession and also healing, blessing, etc., uh, etc., et right? This distinction grew probably for a lot of reasons. I think one of them being this association between obia and evil that in part was a part of what these slave masters and agents of the empire, this was in their interest to portray all of these practices as obia and being evil. And I think in part people internalizing this led to this greater distinction like these two things used to be considered basically mutually exclusive whereas today it's all obia you know like it's all obia my mom tells me about growing up across the street from a poco church um which because of the distinction between obia and mayal and this is sort of what i've read in articles and such they talk about this more along these terms but this distinction made it easier for people to sort of take the lighter more positive aspects of these practices and add christianity into them and so you'll find i don't know about everywhere i'm sure this is definitely the case in most places but i know um you can find a lot of different types of these churches that are like supposed to be some kind of christian denomination which but which heavily heavily draw on mayal and obia to form their traditions and you have these sacred dances that still exist and are still performed today um how some of this stuff has survived is just bewildering i just i can't imagine a tradition like being this long-lived um it's amazing to think about, but this distinction is like something that comes up when I start talking about um, some of the historical accounts that I plan on getting into in this episode. Um, and so getting a little bit more specific, ugh, sorry, getting a bit more specific about the difference between these two, Mayao was more considered skills in herbal healing, uh, preparation of... Uh, fetishes and tools for sympathetic magic um influencing people positively um magic that helps people achieve their goals in life like getting jobs or stuff like that 
Um, but another important distinction, which maybe you've already picked up on, is that Obia tends to be more uh, individual or even antisocial with some of the harmful magic that is a part of Obia um, in this sense. Whereas a lot of the more community aspects of ATRs have sort of gone away with the Mayal. And so, yes, Obia is decentralized. There's no one leader, et cetera, et cetera. But sort of this other aspect of these practices, the community, uh, the group worship, having a spiritual leader that you follow, this is sort of on the other side of the coin, right? They're more two sides of the same coin than being completely distinct spiritual paths and practices. Um, but nowadays, today, it is fair to just call all of it Obia. It's Obia, right? Um, now, it is still very common for Obia to include elements of Christianity and other types of western esotericism alongside the remnants of what ha what would have been the spiritual traditions of enslaved west africans so even though i sort of i make this like i talk about the difference between obia and mayal and then i destroy this this distinction and say basically they're the same thing and you can see here that i mean the lines are blurry Sure, a lot of the lighter aspects of these practices got subsumed into various Christian sects throughout the West Indies. That doesn't mean that Obia has not also taken inspiration and influence and incorporated parts of Christian theology and Christianity in general. Um, you can definitely read about practitioners of Obia, Obia men and women, who have altars that correspond to certain angels or who rely on certain grimoires or even the Bible itself for their magical practices. So all of this stuff is, like I said, I'm putting it all in a blender and I'm making a delicious smoothie for you. <laughs> Obia ends up being this fascinating mix of like traditional ATR beliefs about ancestors and spirits and different sympathetic magics and fetishes and such, plus the herbal healing and poisoning, which is sort of grounded in where the land that they now ended up living on and the plants that ended up being uh, growing on these islands and that these people became familiar with and incorporated into their practices. A hallmark of an Obia man or woman is their knowledge of uh, the earth and the plants and their uses not just on a metaphysical level, but in terms of uh, physical healing. Uh, not to mention the addition of various grimoires, uh, like the 6th and 7th Book of Moses, or even various Solomonic grimoires, like the Greater or Lesser Key. There's also the addition of the Bible and various other works of specifically a man known as uh, Laurent William de Laurence, uh, all of these influences have made them their way into the living practice of Obia. These are very, these are all sort of the contemporary characteristics of Obia, if you will. Um, but which are, various pieces of it are not always true at any given point in time. And I'll sort of, I'll hint at that as we go along. Ah, now, I did mention 
nearly at the top of this very episode that a lot of the history of what we know about Obia tends to be found alongside the history of how these Afro-Caribbean people were controlled by the empires enslaving them. That rule holds true when we are looking at like any kind of historical account of these practitioners and what they were doing. So do keep that in mind. Let's get into a few of those stories now, while adding in a bit of folktale and such. Now, I think we gotta start off with the icon that I am most familiar with from my childhood, that being Queen Nanny. Now, Queen Nanny is a Jamaican folk hero, and in the 18th century, she led the Windward Maroons. The Maroons were a group of formerly formerly enslaved rebels against the British. And at this time, under the leadership of Nanny, the Windward Maroons fought a several-year-long guerrilla war against the British in what would become known as the First Maroon War, because there were multiple. They fought very successfully, and the Maroons and the British alike attributed that success at least in part, to the use of supernatural power. This is definitely, I think, a trope that you'll find if you familiar familiarize yourself with uh, African traditional religions. You always have these rebels and, you know, these people pushing for justice for enslaved Black people, and then you get these associations with ATRs and magic and the spirits and such. Here are just a few of the legends of her supernatural powers. It's said that she could catch bullets in midair and redirect them towards her enemies. Uh, Another myth is that Queen Nanny kept a cauldron at the foot of the old Nanny Town, which was destroyed at some point, but she kept a big cauldron at the foot of Nanny Town, and this large pot would boil and bubble, uh, but there was no actual flame or fire underneath to boil whatever was in the pot, and so everyone was bewildered and amazed by this feat that somehow Nanny was able to do, and it especially would fascinate and distract British soldiers and uh, people looking to trade with the British. And the legend goes, the further of the legend goes, is that these British soldiers would be distracted by this amazing sight and inhale the fumes from this perpetually flamelessly boiling pot and fall unconscious. Um, I've also heard that they would, like, inhale the fumes and then fall into the pot and be boiled alive. So that's also a myth that I've heard, but I'm I'm not quite sure where I heard it from. That is just the way some folktales go, though. That's just sort of a little taste tester. I felt like it was a good little tidbit to start off with. Uh... Nanny has a large legacy to this day. Queen Nanny 
she has her face printed on Jamaican currency to this day. She has a huge legacy. She's very much so a folk hero. When I say she's a folk hero, I really mean it. And um, this was my experience and also the experience of my mother of just being really amazed and impressed by this fearsome warrior woman who fought against what at least in my mind seems like it would feel like an insurmountable force and was somewhat successful uh the like the british were eventually forced to recognize the maroons um as uh i mean they were forced to recognize the power of these people and you can find people today who live in these maroon communities or are descending from these maroon communities so i'm just in awe and it's just very interesting that this real life figure who really fought in these wars and uh really did so many amazing things also is associated with these magical powers um but i want to get into a few historical accounts as well um i mean that was a bit of history a bit of a folktale we're gonna get into a bit of history now so these accounts are coming from a really great site I found called oviahistories.org, which I'm going to link a bunch of different sources that I've been using for, for the creation of this episode. And this site, I highly recommend visiting it yourself because I'm not even getting into like half of what they have up there. Um, but they have a bunch of this history detailed there and also like pictures of some of these documents and various archives that they're using for this information so highly recommend visiting the site yourself if you're interested but let's get into a few of these stories daniel young from saint vincent was convicted in trinidad in 1931 the port of spain gazette reported that he was arrested in a raid of an alleged quote an alleged Obia stronghold at Petit Borg in San Juan, end quote, and charged with, quote, obtaining money by the assumption of supernatural powers, end quote. A man called Rufus Headley and a woman called Sumaria were used as decoys with Sumaria requesting young services. The police waited outside while Young worked with Headley and Sumeria and raided his house, catching him, quote, in the act of exercising an evil spirit which was troubling the woman decoy. He was doing this with a quattro and guitar, sitting before a quantity of lighted candles resting on a book. The police searched Young's premises and found bottles of red liquid, the sixth and seventh books of Moses, the Bible, and various letters addressed to Mr. Young, Brother Young, or Dear Young. These letters came from various parts of Trinidad, thanking Young for his work, with the majority of the letters coming from the oil fields. Daniel was one of many migrants who had come to Trinidad from other parts of the Caribbean, including his own St. Vincent, in search of work. Plenty of people worked in these oil fields. I imagine, I can only imagine, 
how grueling that must have been for people. And so if this Obia man was doing some kind of spiritual service for these people um, so that they could continue on living, I mean, I'm interjecting here, but I'm just trying to say that that is interesting to consider. Um, the circumstances these people were living in and what Obia or seeking out the support of an Obia man might have meant for them or might have how that might have served them somehow. Continuing on with an excerpt from the article, Daniel Young's case shows that practitioners of ritual and spiritual healing who were prosecuted for Obia used magic and healing rituals from a variety of sources, not just those originating from Africa. In the 19th and 20th centuries, people of the African diaspora fused traditions from a variety of sources, including a range of European mystical publications. The mass production and international distribution practiced by the De La Rance Company contributed significantly to this. De La Rance, magic, and occult books were widely found in the Caribbean, so much so that the phrase De La Rance was commonly used as a shorthand for Obia. <sighs> I think we'll stop now because... We'll stop now with the excerpt because I'd like to interject a bit more about this instance. So, De La Rance is like a mythically powerful figure in a lot of what people talk about when they talk about Obia. And even I um, had a little bit of that instilled in me and listening to my mom and other older immigrants discuss the myths of De La Rance, a myth that even though in my head, sort of not from that perspective, just learning about the publication of occult books and that perspective, which I have, I think if you listen to the show in general, you'll know that I have an interest in grimoires and black magic and, and books of that nature. Um, but listening to the way my mom and some older immigrants have talked about this person in these books, this is not just like a publishing company publishing books, you know. This is a great wizard, basically, is how Dale Rance is described. And a myth that I heard from these people was that somebody in Jamaica had owed Dale Rance money and... Dalerons sent spirits after the person to get his money back, and the spirits would disturb the residency of this person by like throwing rocks, and you could never know where the rocks were coming from because it was really the spirits uh, tormenting this person so that they would pay Dalerons back. Apparently, the story goes that this worked because he was just an amazing magician, and uh, this is just one of the stories that I've heard uh, that I wanted to share about De La Rance. But yeah, plenty of these books, uh, like there's myths about like their power and how great these magical books are. Uh, not to mention the sort of the start of people in the Caribbean sort of importing magical knowledge from other places. If that's still a big thing today in one of the more recent cases, which we're not going to get in depth with. Uh, but it's related to this because it was one of the more, one of the last recent cases of people being charged with the practice of obia. 
this was in 1964. Um, it had to do with a woman who was buying a book of occult magic and a bottle of holy water from the United States, and her package was seized, um, and she was taken to court. Uh, part of the reason why her package was seized is because it was labeled De La Rance, and so, you know, everyone knows what De La Rance means, you know? So this is, like, also a part of what is contemporary Obia, you know? It's not just, like, some pure strain of true African traditional religion, and I don't think that exists anywhere in the diaspora. I mean, everywhere people have gone, they don't just bring their spiritual traditions with them, they also absorb different spiritual traditions they come into contact with. Uh, it's why you have things like the Poco religion or the Pocomania, which I suggest you look up if you're curious. It's not really the main subject of this episode, but it is, um, I know I brought it up earlier in the episode, but it is a religion, which is basically some kind of Christian denomination with heavy influences from Obia and Mayao, and you have a lot of dancing and, and spirit communication and stuff like that. Fun fact, even though my mom ended up growing up Jehovah's Witness, she was originally meant to be baptized into this tradition and she did all the studying for it and the last minute was like, I don't feel like doing that and quit. I am always like, wow, all the knowledge you could have given to me and didn't and said you have weird Jamaican Jehovah's Witnessness. <laughs> I think since I'm already kind of getting into it, I want to talk a little bit about personal experience in this case. Um, we discussed the case of Daniel Young. There are a couple other cases, but really, if you want to read more about these, I suggest going to uh, obiahistories.org. Very helpful. Very, uh, very helpful website. Sorry about that. Even though I'm familiar with sort of the story of Obia in my own family, and my own family's beliefs and some of those beliefs I hold within myself and I don't think it would be completely wrong to say to say I practice Obia I mean I would argue as well within my right even I just don't because I might be familiar with a lot of this stuff even before like reading more historical sources I just, I just don't, you know, I just don't. And even if I did, I wouldn't tell people. <laughs> That's just also the truth. I don't always feel comfortable sharing like folk beliefs with people. I'd much rather talk about, you know, grimoires and, and spirit invocation and stuff that is more, uh, I'm, I'm sticking in the lane of, uh, internet witches and wizards and, it's not necessarily common within that group of people to talk about Obia. I think that's what it is. I feel like I don't really fit into the community of people who are on the internet talking about ATRs, and I also don't want to bring that conversation about ATRs to, like, witchy communities, if that makes sense. And so I just don't identify that way, and I also know that if I did really, I wouldn't share that. So, really? How are you to know, one way or the other? I will share some of the, some more tales I sort of grew up knowing about and hearing about, uh, just because it's kind of interesting to hear more contemporary examples of what Obia looks like for people, that it doesn't have to do with people getting, like, uh, 
fighting in slave rebellions or uh, being arrested by the police, you know? So I had a family friend um, who was really a friend of my mom's who I just ended up hearing that this happened at some point as I got older, but they had a guard ring made for them. And so if you don't exactly know, a guard ring is a specially made piece of jewelry that uh, usually a jeweler and the uh, Obia man or woman work together to create and bless and enchant this ring for you, um, usually for protection, but also for success and such. Um, and this family friend had a guard ring made for them that they obviously were interested in enough to pay for this service and have this ring made, um, but kind of felt a little off about it, which is common for a lot of people when it comes to this stuff. And they lost the ring and were kind of upset. I mean, it's, it's jewelry. You don't really want to lose your expensive jewelry. Um, but after losing the ring that day, the following morning, the ring was like on their bathroom counter when it hadn't been there at any other point since they lost it. And they took that as a sign that like they really should take better care of their spiritual jewelry um, or else other strange circumstances might befall them and the next thing might not be as benign. So that was definitely a story I grew up hearing and I've also like forever you grew up hearing about guard rings and guard chains and stuff like that. Uh, so that's definitely an element of Ovia that I'm familiar with, right? Another sort of family story that I'm familiar with is, uh, a family member who, an older woman, she had this weird situation with her ex-romantic partner, who she ended up letting stay with her for a little while, and... Uh, the ex-lover, this is sort of <laughs> partially the, the story that I grew up hearing and partially people putting, putting together, connecting the dots for themselves, but this person, somehow this ex-lover, uh, put, put negative energy on this family member. And people think that it's because the ex-lover stayed with her and then was able to uh, swipe one of her belongings and on a trip that the ex-lover took to the Caribbean had an Obia man or woman put energy on her, put negative energy on her. And she ended up getting really sick and she ended up getting really, really sick actually to the point that uh, there was not any clear way for her to get medical help. Now, I mean, we live in Canada. I don't mean that she couldn't afford medical help or there wasn't any way for her to access it. There was just not really a diagnosis and there there was not really any treatment plan in mind. And like the vibe I get when my mom tells this story, which she does every once in a while, is that family members were thinking that she was going to pass away. And this was right after another passing of um who in relation to me would be my great-grandmother but anyways my great-grandmother passed away and so this other family member getting sick and you know really freaked people out people were sort of mm, 
feeling like, oh my god, another beloved family member is going to pass away. Like, maybe we need to mentally get ready for that option. Um, But a friend of this family member came uh, to visit them and speak to our family and bring up the option of speaking to an Obia man because they felt like, you know, this was the right option and really what do you have to lose at this point? And so... Even though, so the story goes, my family was very against this option. I mean, most everyone believes in some kind of obia and some kind of magic that comes from the islands, um, but most don't dabble in it. I mean, I don't know for sure because it's kind of, it's a weird open secret kind of thing where people don't always say what they're doing is obia, even if it might be obia. But in terms of appearances, at least... People don't want to get into it, even though they fully believe in it. Um, And so they were against this option. Eventually, though, the friend spoke to this family member directly, and the family member gave their direct consent and said they wanted to try this option for themselves. And they did. They visited this Obia man. I can't remember if they visited the Obia man or he came to them. But some kind of ritual happened, the details of which I do not know. Um, And... All I know is that this family member received a special bracelet from this Obia man, and ever since then, she has gotten better and also never takes off this bracelet. This is, you know, these people, most of these people are still alive, by the way, so this is not like an old family story from many years ago. I'm ta- This is like early 2000s, right? So not that long ago in the grand scheme of things, but still interesting to consider um, a family story like this. It's always (laughs) interesting for me to share this. (sighs) There's also sort of the little things that people say and do that, I mean, are definitely part of this belief system, but that I didn't quite realize it at the time. Uh, There's a whole thing about shadows. Now... Shadows are very important in Obia and in these types of practices. Not like, I don't mean like a Jungian shadow or like a shadow in terms of like contemporary witchcraft. They're more like shadows, like which you have different shadows and they're like pieces of your soul, basically. Like your, it's basically kind of like your spirit self. And so if anyone, like, were to do something to your shadow and target your shadow, that would manifest in sickness or unwellness. And so this, I'm sharing this because if you really think about it, especially if you're familiar with baneful magic and also healing magic, it sort of goes both ways. You know, you can use someone's shadow to both heal them and to hurt them if you were to send spiritual powers after the shadow of theirs. And growing up, my mom would tell me all sorts of rules about don't say this to your shadow, don't do this to your shadow, and if it's this shadow, um, then X, Y, and Z, you know? Which, I mean, you know how throughout the day, like, throughout different strengths of sunlight, uh, cast, like, different layers of shadow, it's sort of related to that concept. My mom loves to tell me about how 
when she visited Jamaica for the first time after living in Canada for a number of years, she took off her shoes outside and her father, who, you know, he has since passed away, would tell her, he would get really upset with her, like, how dare you leave your shoes outside? Because if you leave your shoes outside, someone could put Ovia on your shoes and make it so you can't travel again. Um, so again, like in sharing these like stories, you can sort of reverse engineer and guess at, at what some of these practices might have looked like from the perspective that these people had, you know, don't leave your shoes outside because we all know if you cast certain magic on people's shoes, it will stop them from traveling and going places. But that also means that the reverse is true. You know, you can cast theoretically magic on people's shoes that helps them to go far in life and to travel. <sighs> Another large thing, and I think this is one of the last things I'll share, at least in this episode, on the subject of Obia, uh, from my personal experience, is the cream soda. <laughs> All of my life, I've loved regular cream soda and my mom has always been really weird about it and she's always said well you know a lot of Jamaican people are weird about cream soda because we all know that cream soda is used in some of these Ovia rituals and this is I don't know if everyone is weird about it but it is true that cream soda is commonly used in blessings and protection magic you sort of baptized people in cream soda, uh, which I think is really interesting. It just goes to show that wherever the ATR has ended up, uh, whatever, like, things they've sort of picked up from the culture they're, like, sort of, um, absorbing and coming into contact with, like, keep in mind that Jamaica was at one point one of the, like, largest producers of sugar in the Caribbean, and so... It makes sense that especially cane sugar cream sodas are like a big thing in Obia. It's like, it's what they had to work with. It's why candles are not a thing in a lot of different ATRs because those people did not have common access to candles. Whereas ATRs, which are coming into contact with more Catholic religious practices and therefore candles are more abundant because of sort of Catholic religious shops, or places that are coming into very into contact with other types of indigenous cultures. You know, this is all just very interesting. And I'm taking the time here to say that, like, this is ATR, right? So you have sort of the go-tos. You have ancestor altars. You have, uh, oftentimes you'll have altars that correspond with different angels. It's very common for people to work with angels or even holy guardian angels and those ideas because like I said those types of ideas which you could recognize in contemporary uh, occultism are also in a lot of obia because of the mass production of books on the subject of the occult so you also have these sort of like European magical influences it's all just a melting pot of magic basically um this is to say that like this isn't necessarily like atr 101 like there are other sources for that like if you are interested in i will say this um if you're interested in practicing some obia i think 
through listening to this episode, you'll probably have an idea of what that practice could look like. There's a focus on charms uh, for luck, for success, for protection. Spirit communication is also a big thing, either with ancestors, angels, other spirits of the dead. And to be quite honest, this is definitely a subject that I will return to on this show. Uh, So I think I'm going to wrap it up here. I feel like this has been a really fun episode. Very interesting stuff. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed making it. We have now reached the very end of this episode of the show. If you have any questions or concerns, you can find me on Instagram, where I basically live. My Instagram page is venus.libitna, or you can always email me at babylonrisingpodcast at gmail.com. Both of these and more are always linked in the episode show notes. If you're interested in some of the sources I use for this episode, go there if you're looking for, like, I guess more practical type information about the practice of obia. Um, more than what I alluded to, you'll find in a lot of my links a lot of great information, so check that out. Now, thank you for any current patrons who are supporting the production of Babylon Rising. Could not do this without you. This episode would not have been made without the support of Patreon patrons. If you would like to support the show and you're not already, feel free to leave a rating or review on iTunes, or a rating and review on iTunes, because the reviews really help the show grow, and I would really appreciate that. You could also consider donating a couple of dollars a month to the Patreon page, where patrons get early access to any episode that I create. They also get access to bonus episodes, which are Patreon-exclusive. That's all for this episode. Check it out if you're interested. And until next time, Ave Babylon.